1: What is up, everybody? Welcome, 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 everybody! It's so good to have <laughs> you. Uh, welcome to another edition of Facebook Live Q and A. And before we go too hard, I have to say that today is Impact Theory co-founder Lisa Billy's birthday. Big it Happy up, big, birthday, big it up, big it Lisa! up!
0: Happy
1: sure birthday, Lisa! Yay! Happy birthday! Make sure you share all
0: the birthday love and social.
1: Yes, Hit her that up would on be IG. amazing. Hit her up for Shwazy for Shwazy. And yeah, now without further ado, <laughs> I don't know what just. Are happened you struggling there. with words I'm, today? I'm having a stroke, <laughs> literally right now. It's happening.
0: <gasps> in Are real we going to introduce
1: a special guest? That oh, is amazing. Okay, okay, right, this is like so special,
0: all the way from London.
1: All the way from London we've is the got one.
0: The one, the only, the only
1: Diana, Diana Haralambous. No. Come on, and you have to kind of like duck down a little bit, sadly, but this is Lisa's mom. Welcome.
0: Responsible for the lovely woman. Yes, the birthday girl.
1: What is up? Who's hiding behind the camera? Oh, she's got a secret shirt on that she doesn't want to reveal yet, so.
0: There's so many secrets.
1: (laughs) But uh, there we have it. But this, this woman is amazing, and she watches the content at all times, so she yeah. is very much an active part of the community here and has been an incredible mother-in-law to me. I cannot thank you enough, not only for that, but for this amazing birthday girl here today. And as Diana and I were talking about earlier, she was the one really that did all the hard work, so she deserves a little bit of the glow of the celebration, so... There it is. All right. Well, All right. thank you for joining you. us. So good to have you. It's
0: like now she's on the other side of the screen.
1: Yes. Now, <laughs> the only catch is I will warn everybody out there watching, should you ever get the wondrous opportunity to meet Diana, don't you dare call her sweetheart. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a tip I've learned, I've learned from experience. <laughs> I didn't make like, the mistake, but I was there when somebody else did, ah, and it was, okay. it was pretty legendary.
0: That's Awesome. That's hilarious. Yes. All right. So we have like a whole bunch of questions that came in through the Connect inbox. So we're going to kick it off from uh, Fazana, uh, like originally on YouTube, but he sent it over to the Connect box. Um, He wants you to do a whole episode about you know, self-talk and ca- tackling that. But like, let's just dive into the question real quick. Okay. Um, so when did you first become aware of your self-talk and how did it and how long did it take for you to master it and get results?
1: I, I don't know when I became aware of my self-talk in the beginning, to be honest. I'm going to guess whew, certainly becoming aware of obsessive thoughts in, say, middle Mm -hmm. school, high school about things that like, oh, God, like I wish I could stop thinking about this, that kind of thing. Uh, But it really wasn't until um, probably my early 20s that I really started to think, I bet the way that you... Like the things that you think about all the time are important to pay attention to. Mm. And that was as I really began to read and start thinking about self-development and coming in contact with Tony Robbins and all of that sort of happened in my early 20s. That was when I I really started to get a grip. But it wasn't until I started having the breakthroughs about self-esteem and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. that it really took center stage in my life. Got it. And then, was there a second part to that? That it's, um,
0: how long did it take to master and get results?
1: Oh well, so those are two very different questions. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes you're going to start getting results literally the minute that you do it. It's mm-hmm. like a meditation. There is right then in the moment your self talk is going to impact your brain chemistry. So even if you're terrible at it, even if you've never done it before, the moment you start like reframing something, which is probably the most powerful place to start, like. To ask the question, how is the worst thing that ever happened to me, the best thing that ever happened to me? And not like in an empty way to really go through and think about like, okay, what are positive things that actually came out of this? So reframing isn't isn't lying to yourself. It's actually looking at, so take Stephen Hawking, right? So um, has a just degenerative crippling disease and loses all function of his body. So literally he has one muscle in his cheek that he can move and then his eyes. That's it. So for him to be able to really break down in his own life, like how has this been useful? And he said that for sure he would not have had the impact on physics that he's had if he hadn't lost the use of his body and that he wasn't taking his education very seriously. He was obviously always very smart, and so Mm -hmm. things came easily to him. And so because of that, he never really was putting in the effort. He sort of flitted about, and he said that he was, you know, sort of one of the lads out drinking all the time. And um, as he began to lose the functions in his body, he realized, A, he thought he was going to die very, very young. And so he had this tremendous sense of time pressure. And then secondly, there was nothing else for him to do. Like he couldn't go out and play and walk and ride a bike, like all the things that so many of us take for granted. He just couldn't do any of those. And so instead of focusing on all the things that it had taken away from him, he really started to think like, whoa, because of this, like it's forced me to go internal. It's forced me to develop a very profound sense of imagination to do experiments essentially entirely in my mind. And because of that obsessive focus, I'm now actually making use Of my potential. And so that's like, I mean, look, everyone knows my obsession. If you watch Impact Theory, the main show, you know I am freakishly obsessed with this notion of actually expressing your potential, doing something with it. And oddly enough, as he lost potential in one area of his life, it forced him to massively express it in another area. And so that, to me, is reframing. That's really looking at, okay, this thing that clearly is the worst thing that's ever happened mm-hmm. to him, but it, it gave him so much. And so if he focus, focuses on that, then it, like from a neurochemical standpoint right there in the moment, would be transformative. And that's something that I think, um, you know, I would have gotten benefit from right away as I began to reframe and relook at things. Um, and then how did I master it over time or how long did it take me to master it over time? Honestly, I still believe that there's so much more for me to do mm-hmm. that um, I, don't, I don't think of having mastered it. I definitely think that it's become useful for me and mm-hmm. I've gotten a grip on it enough to really um, use it to accomplish goals. Um, but there's a massive gap between me and mastery.
0: Right. And I feel like, you know, monitoring your self-talk is just like an ongoing thing because it never really stops. Um, Very true. Yeah. So our next question comes from Dan bro. So I've been looking at ways to build my self-confidence within certain situations and be 100% myself. I know it's my adrenaline going into overdrive, which is forming my feelings of anxiousness or nervousness, I find it hard to overcome this feeling when it kicks in. I'm finding that it starts to hold me back. What, uh, what ways would you work on this so that I can always be myself?
1: Yeah, so um, the what's happening is you're kicking into flight or fight response, and so you need to practice getting out of that. So step number one is meditate. It is a great way on a daily basis to um, learn to de-escalate your anxiety by breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth, diaphragm breathing, breathing. Um, So for instance, whenever I give a talk, um, I get very anxious. And so I have to, like if you see me and I'm about to give a talk, inevitably you're going to find me sitting on a chair somewhere with my eyes closed, breathing in through my nose and out through my mouth, right? So Mm -hmm. um, in fact, you and I, when we were at... um,
0: HustleCon. Thank
1: you. When we were at HustleCon, um, they came and I was scheduled to go on in like two hours or something. And they came out and they're like, actually, Tom, you're going up in like 10 minutes. And I was like, whoa, normally I, not normally, I prefer to have like a good hour to really like get myself in a particular place, a mindset to just get everything um, in the right place. Didn't have that, no big deal, but I immediately excused myself from the auditorium and I went and found a place to sit down and I just started meditating, just to like put myself in a nice, calm, creative state um, so that I could go do that. And, and I can do that rapidly because I've practiced it as much as I have. So I'm practicing that, and then, man, this is gonna sound weird, but like one of the things that I've gotten out of video games, first-person shooters, I should say, it's very specific. One thing I've gotten out of first-person shooters is you get yourself into these very intense moments And by doing it over and over and over, you learn to recognize, like, that moment where everything is kicking off Mm -hmm. and force yourself to, like, get out of fight or flight, get into rest and digest. So you're moving from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system, practicing what are the things that allow you to do that. And oddly enough, when I'm in a video game scenario, I don't change my breathing, but I really do force myself to relax to not let there's a sense of things speeding up Mm -hmm. and to not let that happen and it's um i actually have a hard time describing what that moment is like what it is that i'm doing but i literally just say to myself calm like you know just relax and in that in doing that like the physiological responses all sort of happen through the autonomic system so i give myself the command to calm to stay calm and i can just feel myself relaxing but i there is a part where you want to remain fast and that's the ability to assess the situation so taking in all the stimulus without it becoming overwhelming and because first person shooters when you're playing against real people there's a sense of like the stakes like yeah. you don't want to lose right and then also just there's so much stimulus coming at you multiple people usually attacking you at one time it's the only time in life i have found where i can practice a something where it's so heightened but at the end of the day you're not going to um, you know fall on your face while giving a speech or something that that has sort of grander echoes um, and can be replicated over and over and over so you could do you know you could play 20 30 rounds in a single day and so you get to practice this over and over and over so and then like if speaking is something that you're having trouble doing you can go to Toastmasters something like that that just really practicing it over and over and over, whatever it is that you want to get good at. If it's social situations, make sure that you're going out three or four times a week. Like Whatever that is, just practice it a lot.
0: Makes sense. All right, hopefully that helped, Dan. All right, so our final question before we dive into the Facebook Live questions because those are coming in quick. Um, This one comes from Laura Kay. She's, uh, she wants us both to answer this question. Uh, what's your advice on dealing constructively with low self-esteem around one's physical appearance, especially if being attractive, quote unquote, is a factor that will affect that person's success in achieving their goals? For example, a professional model or a leading lady actress suddenly struggling with severe acne. Attract- attractiveness is subjective, of course, but let's say it's a sliding scale from Angelina Jolie to Gollum. <laughs>
1: That, that is an amazing sliding scale. Right. Uh, yeah, this is, this is real and this is terrifying since we all age and ultimately beauty is going to fade for everybody, even those that have it. And some people never were blessed necessarily with that. Um, but I'm a big believer in whatever package you're giving given to make the most of it. Right. And Mm so, and I, I am very, very aware as I've spent more and more time in front of the camera, like I'm very, very aware of how the way that any person looks affects the people looking at it. Now, I think you can transcend it and I think you can get so good that ultimately it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like there have been times where I've seen guys that I just think are – like deadly handsome and i'm like i could take over the world if i had my mind and their looks <laughs> uh that has crossed my mind many many times um but i think that it is a very dangerous game to focus on something that you like You can change it a little, but then there's a point at which you can't safely um, change it anymore. So at that point, there's a great quote. I think it's by Plato. There's two things you should never worry about, the things you can't change and the things you can, right? So um, change your looks as much as you can, like whether that's just getting in shape, whether that's um, wearing your hair in a way that's flattering, finding a style that's flattering for you. um, Do all those things. A great example of this is the... um, How am I blanking on his name? He's a former guest. Uh, Neil Strauss. So Neil Strauss, the guy that wrote the game where he had no game with women. He was uh, short. He was going bald. Like just really felt like he a little bit maybe chubby. I can't remember if he's a little chubby. Maybe he was. But anyway, he felt like he had a lot of things going against him in the visual realm. And he shows a picture of himself and then shows a picture of himself once he says, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to do everything I can within sort of my universe. Shaves his head completely bald. I think he may have changed the way he was wearing his facial hair. Either went from contacts to glasses or the other way around. I can't remember. But like the, the night and then started caring about the way that he dressed. The night and day difference from what yeah. he looked like when he was like, oh, I don't care. To like, no, I'm going to take this seriously was Insanity. So, there's so much anyone can do to just like package whatever you have well. And I think to pretend that that's not a thing, to say like, oh, people should just love me for who I am. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein. And my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken sure but that like denies the truth of the human condition Mm -hmm. so we are wired to perceive things in a certain way symmetry we find beautiful like across cultures like there's just things um, that we find attractive so do your best to package it up once you get to the point where okay there's not anything more that i can do there that i'm willing to do then you have to switch over into I just don't care anymore about it. And what are going to be the things that I'm going to build my self-esteem around? It's you know not going to be looks. It's going to be whatever. Um, so if I were to come down with a crippling case of acne, I'll be the first to tell you it would suck. I wouldn't enjoy it. And then I would, immediate, I would do everything I could to deal with it. And then I would immediately move on to building my self-esteem around something else. Um, and that's critical, recognizing that what you build your self-esteem around is a choice. So I like to believe, Stephen Hawking's coming up a lot today, I like to believe that Stephen Hawking has massive self-esteem even though like because of the deterioration of his body i doubt he takes a lot of pride in his physical appearance so it's it really is just deciding what you're going to value yourself for um but it's actually like i think meaningful to not pretend that the other things aren't real um so that you do make the most of that as well
0: yeah i mean and a lot of it does come from, like, a place of self-love, like, even in, like, the little pieces that you can find to love. So, um, yeah, and, like, beauty is one of those weird things that, like, goes in and out, like, trends, because I feel like in the 90s it was, like, be super skinny and, like, way thin and super pale, all of that, and then now it's, like, everyone wants to be tan, everyone wants to be, like, strong and curvaceous and the the standards of beauty are always evolving and changing and so i guess you kind of have to do what you can with what you have and then everything else kind of starts from a place of like inside so you know building your confidence about your skills and becoming an actress or whatever the case may be and also in terms of acne I mean, I'm a skincare junkie, so I like take care of my skin like crazy. So if you need any help, just, you know, hit me up on the DM and I'll like share all of my knowledge with you uh, to the point that you're just like, wow, can you stop? Um, And that was the choice that I made because I don't really like wearing a lot of makeup. So I was like, I'll take care of my skin to the point that I feel like I don't need makeup Mm. because, you know, in your teens, you go through acne and hormones and all these different things that you're uncomfortable with. And then- you kind of have to start ignoring it and, like you said, refocusing on what you, what your strengths are, what you can do, or what actually moves you towards your goals. So, I mean, like a great example of this was I was always taller than everyone, like from a young age. And so for me, I was like, oh, this is really weird. Like on the playground, I'm like beating all the boys I'm faster than them. I'm stronger than some of them. That's like super weird. But those are the kind of things that kind of led me to become a really great athlete was I appreciated the fact that I was strong and I could get fit really quick and I was fast and, you know, I took that to the lacrosse field and, you know, those were the legs that helped me score goals, not not necessarily, you know, they weren't the classically attractive legs at the time, but now everyone really wants like strong muscular legs. So it's like, maybe just wait on your cycle. (laughs) But yeah. So that's kind of my two cents.
1: Nice. I dig it.
0: All right. So this next one comes from Joe Cross in the feed. Tom, I'm super stoked for the moment you start producing content around the hero's journey. What are you looking for when it comes to help uh, when it comes to helping create or produce? um, What's your plan of bringing people into the process?
1: That's an awesome question, and Joe has been really, more than anybody in our community, has really been engaged sort of behind the scenes, like asking questions like this and Mm -hmm. finding out ways that he can um, help, which is very appreciated. Thank you, man. Um, Basically, what we're going to be doing is uh, trying to bring creatives together in what we're calling Impact House, so literally um, holding... Here, I'll walk you through sort of how I see it in my fantasy land. We're going to be holding some writing competitions, uh, maybe some short film competitions, but definitely writing competitions uh, where the, the process is meant to help us identify people that have skill. And... Um, I don't believe that that's something that you're born with, but we really like this isn't just, uh, and I'll put it more bluntly. It's not designed to be a mentorship program. It's meant to find people that actually have been putting in the work and are actually good at storytelling. And there's going to be two ways that we go about it. They're going to be ideas that we have that we want to incubate at impact house. Um, and, uh, our strategy is to start with comic books because it gives us a chance to build community. Um, but we're certainly open to, um, also books as well. But serialized things are very, very meaningful for building community. I also think that we're living through the golden age of television. And so things that are serialized by nature, I think is more powerful right now than filmmaking um, as sort of a one and done. But we're also going to be doing those as well. But our primary focus will be um, finding things that are serialized. So bringing writers in, having a contest that has a financial incentive at the end of it. So... Uh, You know, top three people get money, whatever that's going to look like. But the goal would be to find more than those three people that we can really bring into the ecosystem, that we can partner up with um, artists and start putting out comic books. So that's going to be step one. Uh, Our plan is to absolutely own Comic Con 2018. Um, I I've talked about it so much here. I can't remember if I've talked about it on camera. But nope. uh, Comic Con was uh, just an amazing experience for me. And by the way, if we have any writers or uh, artists in the feed, don't hesitate to um, get ready to submit your artwork. Don't submit it yet. Do yet. Uh, we're we're not ready. working on the legal side of that. Uh, it's obviously very complicated because we're in-house developing ideas, and so. Legally, you have to tell people like, hey, the chances are that we've already developed an idea that's similar to yours, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so competition, meeting the writers and artists that we're going to need to bring in, we'll break them into teams. We, some will, basically, we'll present, here are the ideas that we want to move forward And anybody that gravitates towards one of those ideas then can run with it. And then people that have their own ideas that they wanna incubate, um, we would be looking for them to go do that on their own. And then um, if they want to present the finished work, then we're all for that. Um, Or if they would like to pitch the idea and get it approved as one that we will officially incubate, then we're open to that as well. So that's sort of how that process will work. Um, I believe there's no substitute for proximity and we're very much trying to create a um, a cadre of creatives that are working and developing this stuff. So we actually want people that have been vetted uh, coming here to the house and developing their projects and meeting a couple times a week uh, to be a part of a collective of other artists that um, understand what our uh, mission is from a... Um, ideological standpoint that's very very important to us and i think is how we're going to make a name for ourselves is everything will be consistent all right Uh, i could go into more detail on that i'll stop there i think there's a better Mm. format for that kind of sort of deep dive on that stuff but that's a nutshell
0: yeah look out for information we'll definitely put that stuff on our website or the impact theory league those two places we kind of Announce things like that, definitely. Um, so just shout out to Jim Quick, really quick in the feed. Jim is yeah. in the house. What he is said he up, homie? T-shirt. He's like, You've got, got to know,
1: it. you've got to He's know that it. I think of Jim when I wear shirts like exactly. this. So, oh man, I really want to remember Jim. I just met somebody. Oh, this is at that super secret thing. If you're not already, what is with all the but these are like fun secrets, but. <laughs> If you're not already in the newsletter, I talk about this in the newsletter. Go to impacttheory.com right now. Sign up for the newsletter. Um, I talk about a super secret thing that I went to. This was so weird. This was actually kind of amazing. So imagine getting a letter that goes something like, you've been invited to a secret meeting of influencers, and you come to this location. Do not give people your name. Do not tell them what you do. Don't tell. Um, don't ask about what they do. Um, what else was there? If you recognize somebody famous, do not acknowledge that you recognize them. Just keep going. Um, if you RSVP that you're coming and you don't come, you'll never be invited again. If you RSVP that you're coming and you're late, you won't be allowed in and you'll never be invited again. And but but that's it. And this is the time and the place, show up. And Jim, one of the people there knew who you were um, and they were raving about you. They knew that you'd been on the show as well, which was cool. It was just, it was an amazing experience. I cannot disclose the people that were there. It was absolutely incredible. I was so mortified that my wife was sick because she didn't get a go. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was like, yeah. It was awesome. It was Yay! really cool. I had a great time. Uh, it made me want to do things like that.
0: I love stuff like that. Oh
1: man. It was so I cool. Love stuff like that. It was really, really, really neat. Uh, there's some amazing people out there in the world that you just, you literally like some of the random things that people did. Oh, and they make you guess. So you spend like a couple of hours with people and then you have to guess mm-hmm. like what they do for a living. And the guesses were hilarious, and then the truth was like, "Whoa, that's so interesting!" <laughs> uh, but it was amazing.
0: That's fun.
1: Yeah, amazing. So, but anyway, Jim, you were there. You were, you weren't there, but you were being talked about very positively. Uh, so, Jim is everywhere. He's one of those guys mm-hmm. that like a he knows everybody, and then everybody knows him. It's yeah, fascinating. It's good. I oh, love me some Jim. Anyway, so shout out to Jim.
0: All right. So this one comes from Leah or Lee. One of Marshall, the two. one of the two. Hey Tom, in a past episode of Relationship Theory, you said you ignored Lisa for the first month and a half. That was and that was necessary. Can you explain what you mean and why? Um, and Lisa said that that was attractive, whereas I feel mm. attracted to guys who pursue me. Can you elaborate on the psychology and the biology there?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'm. I'll start with my absolute shock. I would need so much more clarity because I, if We were sitting together and I could scratch at that. I'm really attracted to guys that pursue me thing. It's going to fall apart. And the reason I think it's going to fall apart goes back to sexual market value. So let's play a game. You get in a room and everybody has a card that you draw randomly from the deck. You don't know what your card is. You affix it to your head facing out. So you can't see it, but everyone else in the group can. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So you're walking around. You could be a two. You could be an ace, right? Ace is high. And your job in that environment is to convince the person with the highest card to be your partner. So that's what everybody's doing, right? So Mm -hmm. let's say that I was a two and you were an ace. And I'm like, hey, Cindy, it's so great to meet you. Like, I'd really like to be your partner. And you're like, oh my God, that'd be so cool. I just want to mingle a little bit more and like get to. (laughs) And then I'm like, ooh. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm not an ace. Like, I get that. Maybe I'm not even a king. Uh Uh-oh. And so as I start to go around, like, I begin to recognize sort of where I fall. And finally, Mm. I get to the person who's a four. And they're like, hey, no. Oh, my God. So good to see you. Like, And then we... And I'm like, oh, man. Like, I'm low. I don't know if I'm a six, a five, a two. Like, But I know sort of like four is what I can get, basically. Mm -hmm. So... I think there's there is a signal that when you're pursuing somebody that the person goes, "Oh, okay, well, I'm certainly on par with them. Am I a little bit more?" And I don't this is one of those like I don't want it to be this way, which is why my opening strategy was always to write poetry and show up with flowers. It just didn't work. And so clearly the the active pursuing and I will say that at this point, you guys know a little bit about me. So I wasn't like falling over myself. I wasn't gross about it. But I was if I was interested in somebody, I was not trying to play games. I was just, hey, I'm interested. Like here it is. Uh, I think it's a a neat part of the courtship ritual to show up with flowers. Uh, I'm not writing in the poem that I love you and I would die without you. It's nothing like that. It's like something that explains like, what it is that I find interesting about you, and, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, and, and I start by saying that you guys know enough about me at this point to know hopefully I, I have enough self-awareness. I would know, like, if, if I were coming on, like, oh my God, you're the greatest thing ever, and when I look in your eyes, I get lost, and I fantasize. It's not like that. Like, it was legitimately just something trying to express, like, hey, there are yeah. unique qualities about you that I really found interesting. And so, it was like that. And even that... Wasn't getting me anywhere. And so it really was me going to somebody who was very successful with women. And I asked, what do you do? And he said, I'm a jerk. And then I was like, that can't be. And so I started breaking that down. And what became apparent to me was he's confident. And so, and oh, wow. I don't remember what song this is from, or maybe it's from a movie. I know exactly what it's from. It's from Four Christmases. Uh Have you seen it? I don't This sums (laughs) up a part of courtship that I did not understand. Mm -hmm. And that once it clicked, I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. So in the very beginning of the movie, Vince Vaughn and um, Reese Witherspoon... They're actually married, but they do this thing where they pretend they don't know each other, and they go through, like, they play these characters and stuff. But you as the viewer don't realize, my wife's (laughs) creeping out of the background, uh, you don't realize as the watcher that they're married. So you just see, like, Vince Vaughn come up, and he's making a move, and he's, like, a little unconfident, but he's very complimentary, and literally doing all the things that I would have done. And she says... Kent, I'm going to stop you right there. And she goes in like this whole diatribe. She's like, you've done everything right on paper. You've been nice. You've shown an interest in me. You complimented me. But I want somebody whose hand doesn't shake when he sticks it up my blouse. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. I fully get it. And uh, that was where I... I was stuck at that point, at some point Mm -hmm. in my life, where it was, you're not approaching somebody with confidence. And so at the end of the day, people respond to confidence. So that, once I learned, like, I was not willing to be a jerk that doesn't, like, honestly being a jerk i'd rather be single like that's just not interesting to me so there was no way that i was going to do that but once i understood okay like i get it you want somebody who's confident you want somebody who's secure in themselves the like what that would trigger from an evolutionary perspective when selecting a mate like think about you're on the savannah man you don't know if you're going to eat like put yourself in that space and now it's like okay, am I going to align myself with this person? Are they going to be able to help me have a child that's going to survive? Are they going to be able to help me have a child that's not just going to survive, but it's going to thrive? Are they going to be able to help me raise that child? Are they going to be able to, like from both sides of the equation, right? Like Mm -hmm. you want somebody who's confident. And that is why being pursued like hard can work if there's a sense that this person can take or leave it, right? Like, once I pursued her, then I was pursuing her. And literally, our courtship, in a nutshell, went something like this. I ignored her in the sense that I didn't show any interest. It wasn't like I wasn't talking to her. She was one of my students. Uh, So we had interactions. School for adults. School for adults. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, We had interactions. So it wasn't like she had nothing to go off. It just, I did not display any interest. I wanted to show indifference. I can take it or leave it. But then when I decided to make a move, I wanted to show, I'll be honest, not only confidence, but dominance. And so one day we were um, on the back lot. She was filming something. She was about to leave. And I said, where do you think you're going? Sit your ass down. In a fun way with a big smile on my face, all that. And she sat down. Now, at that moment, if she had said, like, yeah, whatever, and turned away and walked off, then it would have been, okay, I played my card. It didn't work. And I wouldn't have pursued her. But because she literally, as if her knees collapsed, sat down. And then I was like, (laughs) okay, so that worked, right? Like that's something that she responds to. So, But then it was like, I want her to see that I'm interested, not too interested. And the funny thing is, I actually think that we we think what happened next is different. And I will just tell you the the gods on this truth. I started to panic because I had asked her out, essentially. I told her to sit her ass down in front of other people in her class. And I started to worry that, man, if I take this girl out and it's perceived as a date, cause she wanted me to go out with her whole group. And I was like, if I go and it's perceived that I went to sort of be with her on a date, like this could end really badly. So yeah. I was exhausted. I just went home and went to bed and I didn't call her as she had asked me to do. And part of me knew like, okay, that's not the end of the world, that I'm not calling her, but I didn't do it to be smooth. I did it because I was worried about losing my job. So that's the truth. Now, did it work to my advantage because she thought I was being like, oh my God, he really doesn't care. <laughs> like maybe, but the the truth was I was just worried. And then, then I finally asked her out when I can go with just her and I have the cover of It's a Friend's Movie and she's at film school and I'm a film teacher. So it's like, if this really turns out to be a disaster, I could be like, I, I don't even understand why she thought it was a date, right? So... All of that setup worked out very, very well. Um, But that's why, going back to the card example on the forehead, that's why you don't want to like overly pursue. And if you do decide to commit, then you have to continue to do it from a place of confidence. It has to be seen that you could take it or leave it. So if I'd gotten a negative signal from her, I would have immediately backed off. Not to protect my ego, because that's the only way that I could ever then reapproach her again in the future. If something presented itself, she would need to know that, she gave me a no, so it was a no. So I'm, I'm off to the next thing, like you're lost, right? And you've got to build back up that sense of why isn't he paying attention to me in order to make it work? I will say this. Know what your goal is. And it really winds me up when people are like, I don't play games. Okay, well then you're ignoring a fundamental part of the human condition is what it is. So yeah, I don't get that. I'm my intrigue with Tinder culture continues to grow. Like, (laughs) the more I see that come across on Reddit, the -hmm. more I'm just like, the, the game isn't set up right. I don't know what I would do because thankfully I'm not in a position where I ever have to think about it. But I don't know what I would do. But when I see the mistakes, that not even the mistakes, like, what do you do when, how do you come up with a unique opening line? When all people get all day long is opening lines, opening lines, opening lines. Like, right. You've removed like the so many elements, like all the things that I just detailed with my now wife. None of those would have been possible. Like, How do you show confidence and sort of indifference at the same time? You reached out. You sent the message. Ugh, I don't envy people that have to <laughs> deal with Tinder culture. I would just say that. All right. Yeah. I'll stop there.
0: I mean... And there, there are so many different apps now. So, like, does it really matter?
1: What do you mean, does it really matter?
0: Because, like, you can... So you can choose to be on Tinder, knowing, like, yep. they're, they probably have the biggest audience, but there's more likelihood that you're going to get, like, the weird, creepy people. Because, mm. like, there was one time I re-downloaded my Tinder, and I, just, I, and I literally saw this dude's messages, and I was like, I need to get off of here. This is why I left in the first mm. place. Um, but then there's Bumble, which like the girl reaches out and you have 24 hours to respond and like make a connection. And then there's like Hint. there's the League, there's OKCupid, there's it's yeah you can kind of like select now too and then match if you're older and you're actually serious I guess about dating. Right. <laughs> so uh, I don't yeah. It's interesting. And then real life. That's another option too. Yeah. Because there's still a lot of people who aren't on dating apps. Or Are like, there? Yeah.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. I would be on them, like, if I were single, yeah. for sure. I mean,
0: so, there was a there was a period of time, now we're going on a tangent, now you're going to learn about my dating life. Let's do it. So, there was a period of time that I just, like, deleted all my apps, like, I just didn't have apps, and I was, like, kind of on, like, a dating fast hiatus, right. I guess, for, it ended up being nine months-ish. Um... Just because I was like, I don't really want to swipe through. Like, I was like, I was just tired of that. Mm -hmm. Because it does turn into a game. And then you don't even really take the other person, like, the people in this app seriously. Because it's like playing Candy Crush. you are just like, like, whatever. Um, And so I just deleted all of them, except for Bumble. And that one was set to, like, meet friends. So I was like, I'll put it in BFF mode. Because, like, I do want to find someone to, like, hang out and, like, get a coffee or get my nails done or whatever. Mm. So I made a friend on Bumble BFF, which I was, like, awesome. Um, but then after that, I, like, made my one friend, and I think I, like, deleted it. Because it's, like, the same thing. I was not really taking any other people in the app se- that right. seriously. Um, and then I just started meeting people in, like, the wild, if you will. And then I was coming across people who also weren't really on apps or people who had recently deleted their apps. Right. A lot of times you you get back into them as a way to like kickstart dating, like that mindset for yourself. At least in my experience, it's like okay, well, now I'm like I feel like I would like to to date again or go out, see what's out there, whatever. You kind of download your selected apps and then you kind of get into that mindset of like Okay, like talking to a new person, doing the normal things where it's like, okay, like let's get drinks on a Tuesday, or let's do this or Saturday at this food truck festival or whatever. Right. Um, and yeah, All right. so you can go That's back and forth. Yeah, but like my sister's on OkCupid, okay like I think exclusively at this point. But there are so many different apps that you can kind of choose. And OkCupid has, like, very detailed profiles that you fill Mm. out. So that that speaks to her. Like, she's very detail-oriented like that. I'm kind of, like, I guess lazy about dating.
1: It's interesting because... So part of my jam when I was hiring a lot was I don't read resumes. Yeah. And the reason I don't read resumes is they lie. And they are not an accurate representation of the person. And... I, I felt like I got more out of three minutes with a person than I would get out of, like, reading, you know, three hours worth of their resume. It's like, meh. So it's interesting because I've always thought that I, if I were single now, that I would turn heavily to dating apps because it allows you to go through a lot of numbers. But I do worry that it's just a bad system for identifying potential connection.
0: Right. And that's that's how I personally feel, and I still to this day prefer meeting people in real life because I just I trust that I'm very good at reading people and mm. reading what works for me and what doesn't work for me. Whereas like on these apps, a lot of times they're like, yeah, like this one's okay looking, but if you met them in person, right. suddenly they're like way more attractive because mm. of the other things, like those non digitally seen things, I right. guess. And so, I don't know. I leave myself open. Word. Yeah. All right. Anyway. What else? Oh, yeah. Questions. (laughs) All right. So, this next one comes from Daniel Breeze. Our boy. Yup.
1: In the house. Uh,
0: I haven't done any suffering in my youth uh, to be okay with the fact that to be successful, you need to suffer. However, I'm well aware that most successful people have suffered in their childhood or youth. Would you put yourself through suffering purposefully in this case and what kind of suffering specifically?
1: Definitively, um, yes. I think that suffering is a test. It's a gut check. It lets you know where you are. Uh, But more importantly for success, like I I think it's about really getting good at something. I just think there's an inherent amount of suffering to pushing through boredom, to push through the hard times, to face your inadequacies. Um, But yeah, you don't grow unless you are going through a stressor. So And that stressor is in and of itself suffering. But like when I say suffering, I'm not talking about like, man, if you've managed to avoid like someone you love dying, if you've managed to avoid um, getting, you know, traumatically injured, like things that, by the way, if they happen, you can harden, you can get something great that comes out of that. But I would never seek that out. But there are ways like the gym is the most obvious one: go and suffer a fast, go and suffer for sure. and I would build these things into my world because it forces you to learn strategies to deal with when you don't want to do something. So for instance, right now, I am doing intermittent fasting. Uh, I would really much rather not be I'd much like I you can't imagine how often I think about there are people out there right now who they can eat essentially whatever they want and they're lean. And not only that, like have you ever seen, so there was this guy, I'm, I'm just going to call him out. There's this, he is a, an amazing human being. His name is Evan Dollard. Look him up. He is like, he can just get away with murder from a diet perspective. Now, the guy does incredible things physically. He's an American ninja warrior guy, just unbelievable. He won um, American Gladiator as like the contestant. This dude is just, have you met Evan?
0: Yeah, I think so. Once a question, once here.
1: Now the thing about Evan that drives me nuts, his fat distribution is, is perfect. Like every ounce of his body, yeah. the fat is distributed evenly. So whether he's like 10% body fat, 6% body fat, he's got abs. It makes me want to punch him in the head. <laughs> and here's why. If even when I was at my leanest, 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 I still have fat in my love handles. Like it drives me mad. Like literally I will look like a concentration camp survivor in my face because for whatever reason, like that's where I lose weight. And in fact, when we were on, we were on vacation uh, and, and we set up the camera to do the live and I thought, ooh, based on the way the light is hitting me, I look so fucking gaunt. And somebody <laughs> wrote in the, the feed like, hey Tom, you your It's really working, I can see it in your face. And I wanted to say, actually, I'm on vacation I have, like, I'm, I'm less consumed. lean, I'm but consumed. my fucking face, like, just loses fat so rapidly. That's so
0: interesting.
1: And my love handles will hang on it, like, until the end of time. And I remember one time, like, my forearms were, like, scary shredded. Yeah. But, like, I could poke, like, into my elbow on my love handles. I was just like, <laughs> what is happening? So there are times where I'm literally, I am so frustrated that I don't get to eat whatever I want. The fact that I have to do intermittent fasting, like, all of it, it winds me up. But in doing that and forcing myself through the suffering and forcing myself to do things like that, you have to get good at techniques. You have to get good at, like, how am I going to avoid this? Gamification is something that works really well for me.
0: What? That's you.
1: There's no way this is happening. I literally... I can only apologize. (laughs) I have no idea what happened. I never set alarms before 11 a.m. All right, that... (laughs) That was terrifying. Yep, I know. Shame heap it it's all like, on bully the, you. I bully you earned, this week. I have earned the shame. Uh, <laughs> so gamifying things for me is has really, really been big. My alarm going off is making me sweat. That's how I have rules against that. Um, gamification. The reason I check my blood levels obsessively when I'm really trying to do something with my diet is because then it's fun i can gamify it it's one of the strategies that i use the other strategy is welcoming it like an old friend the other strategy is being proud of myself being willing to do something that other people aren't willing to do like those are the strategies that you're only going to develop if you're suffering. It's the same thing in the gym, right? I show up every day. I put in the work. Other people aren't willing to do this. I'm willing to do it. Um, learning to focus on results instead of just the process like, hey, I want this thing. I want to get something. It's not about this rep. It's about the result, right? So knowing that you're pushing for something specific, all of those techniques, which you can use in myriad other places in your life only come if you're willing to push yourself. You're willing to go through the hardship. So yes, I think suffering is very important. I think people should absolutely force themselves into places where they're suffering. And, and I say this from the safety of not having children, you need to make your kids suffer. Now, that's one of the reasons I don't have kids because I'm not prepared to do it. So trust me when I say I know that this is advice that I'm, I probably would do it, but it would be, it would be very, very hard. So Compassion, empathy, no judgment, but I do think it's a good strategy. Yeah. There it now is. Now I'm trying to Suffer. think.
0: I was like, was there a lot of suffering for me? Like, from my parents' side of things, but I don't know. I didn't feel like I suffered a lot, but I still feel like there's a lot of drive. And mm.
1: we, we really have to like yeah, break like down, like, like what do you mean down. by suffering? What, yeah. Because, like, like the my childhood was essentially idyllic. Okay. My parents were very kind. They stayed together until I left right. for college. So I felt like, hey, I grew up with two parents my like entire two life. Of household. They were amazing to me. Uh, they frustrated the life out of me. Don't get me wrong. I was very rebellious as a teenager and it drove me nuts and I do not do well with authority. Um, but they always made me feel loved. I mean, just really, really incredible from that perspective. But my parents were big fans of manual labor and they made me do a lot of manual Mm -hmm. labor. Uh, My parents refused to buy me a Nintendo, which to this day, uh, I hold on to that. Um, And I had to get a job in a door factory at 12, because my parents said, if you want a Nintendo, you have to buy it yourself. Now, $100 just for the system, plus games, to a 12-year-old is an absolute fortune. And so I had to take a job in my uncle's door factory. And if I remember right, and I think I, I'm almost certain he paid me $2.10 an hour. Okay, it was well below minimum wage. It was also <laughs> child labor laws were broken. It was, um, and I remember like family. having to carry, like, I would have to um, lacquer things. Actually, that's not true. They were lacquered and then I had to sand them and then I think they lacquered them again. But anyway, I had to carry them and by 12, I already had um, some hair on my forearms and when you would carry them, then the lacquer would get in your hair and you had to rip it out. Oh, it sucked. And also when you're sanding, you'll end up getting splinters, but like harpoons that would go like through you. Uh, I used to hide in the bathroom. It was such a miserable experience. (laughs) Uh, but I always had jobs like that. So worked in a door factory, a paint factory, a paint warehouse, uh, a paint store, like just really, really horrible because I was always (laughs) doing whatever, wherever my dad was working or a family member, like that's how I got my jobs. I spent an entire summer building this big ass fence. And so when my neighbor tore it down, I went fucking ballistic. Uh, that's a whole nother story. Um, but Yeah, manual labor. It sucked. I hated it, but because of that, I knew I was hell-bent to do something else with my life. And my dad always said, this is going to build character, and it did. Yeah. I hated it, but I I had to do it. And so I had to somehow find a mental trick, procedure, whatever, to get through it. So Hmm. suffer, suffer, suffer. It's super effective.
0: All right, then. All right, so this next one comes from Jacob Bucci. Hi, Tom. Uh, How would you approach a serious health condition that you've had for a while? Say you've been living with brain injury for four years and sought out a ton of treatments and found yourself at an unsatisfactory level of functionality, what would you do?
1: This is amazing. This is exactly what I would do. So first and foremost, I would take 30 days. He's well past that, but I'll just walk you through the whole process. If it were really something traumatic where I knew like, whoa, this is bad news. I would take 30 days to mourn and for 30 days I would allow myself like all the like sadness and trauma in the world because I think it's an important part of the recovery process. At the end of the 30 days on day 30 fucking one, no more, never again. I will not tolerate any of that for myself. I am moving forward and I'm moving forward with aggression and optimism and the only thing that matters is total fucking recovery and I'm going to Not only am I going to recover, I'm going to be better than ever. And if that means reallocating, like if I lose my legs and I know I'm never going to run the same way. Now, I've got two choices. I can hew her this, look him up. Where's Dr. Finesse? I'm trying to get this guy on the fucking show. He was in a climbing accident. He lost both of his legs. The prosthetics that this guy has created, he becomes an engineer specifically to solve that problem. The prosthetics he's made are so unbelievable that you can run all out like, a, like an Olympic sprinter all out with these things. And they don't look like the ones that you see like Blake yeah. um, Leaper the wearing. They, they look like fucking legs. And he all out. When you see him in pants and he's walking, you 100%, you cannot tell <laughs> that he has prosthetics. Absolutely unbelievable. So that was a guy who decided, I'm getting my legs back cool. That may not be the path that I choose. So if I decide, you know what? I'm not pursuing the Hugh Her like rebuild strategy, reinvent, make this stuff up, do whatever I have to do, mine asteroids to get the resources, whatever. I'm going to just do the Stephen Hawking approach and I'm going to allocate myself to something else, whatever it is. But I'm doing something all in. I'm going to be better than I ever was before at that thing. I'm still going to try to be world-class at something. I am going to waste exactly zero time feeling sorry for myself, Post 30 days, because in the 30 days I wallow. But then, day 31, absolutely no tolerance in myself for sympathy. I will tell my wife, this is day fucking 31. Don't you give me an ounce of sympathy. Empathy all day long. Compassion all day long. But do not give me sympathy. Yes. That's really, really important. And then you just relentlessly begin that rebuilding process. Now, you're going to have to educate the life out of yourself because to really transcend this, you're going to have to know more about that than anyone else. That means think of the world's greatest expert, the person that won the Nobel Prize in that area, and you're going to have to outperform them. For instance, medical science has failed my wife in the microbiome. Mm -hmm. So now I've taken it upon myself. I have to learn this. I have to go hard on the microbiome. Can Can I... a second? Mm-hmm. All right, so I go to this super secret dinner. There are amazing people there that you wouldn't believe. The guy sitting next to me is a world-class doctor, which is how he ends up at this super secret weird influencer dinner, right? And long story short, somebody... I, I don't like to speak up when I don't know people well, and this is going to be hard for people to believe given what I fucking do for a living now. It's
0: true, guys. i like, seen it. But
1: like, I don't... I don't preach. I don't proselytize. I like, I am not trying to convince people unless you ask me a question like, yeah, I'm just gonna stay nice and quiet. But there was a guy there whose wife was having a C-section the next day. And I was like, Oh God, everything that I've learned about the microbiome, like Mm -hmm. C-section is just not an optimal way to start from a microbiome perspective and you have this super limited window and everything that I'm reading says, dude, this is the one thing we don't know how to fix later. So like if you're C-section born and you don't get a vaginal swab and essentially then smeared all over the baby, like it just does not set them up well. And science has yet to figure out how we make up for that. So you have like this, it's ridiculously short, like a 36 hour window to, to seed the microbiome properly. So I'm like, oh, God, do I say anything? Like, I don't want to be that guy. And so I was like, just look it up. Like, get your wife vaginally swabbed. Ask the doctor something. And then I tried to stop. And then, of course, it was like, it opened this. Oh, my God, what do you mean? Like, And it turns into this whole fucking conversation. And at one point, I'm like, I need to say this. I know nothing. I am merely exploring. Like, I'm, this is just what I've yeah. come across and the guy, the doctor next to me goes, this guy knows more about medicine than most medical doctors. That's what you have to do, okay? That's what you have to do. And I was so proud of that because I know nothing about it. My wife has a problem. I, I let her suffer for years because I did not take it upon myself to learn. I did not make the demands of myself that I could go in and educate myself. And so... As just a normal dude, I finally said, I've gone to every fucking doctor I know to go to, I've tried everything, anybody that I thought had any degree of competence in this area, I've tried what they told me, and, but I'm, I've not yet made myself the expert, and so now I'm going to make myself the expert. And so I've just dove headlong into learning, 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 and that's what you have to do. Like you've just got to decide I'm not going to wait for anybody else. Like medical science has gone so far in terms of learning, just to use his example, brain damage. Cool. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn everything I can about that. And then I'm going to start pushing the field forward. Right. This, you just have to do that. And that's what like made quest great was we said, okay, well this is as far like as food science has gone and now we're going to have to push it forward. This is as far as manufacturing science has gone. And now we're going to have to push it forward. And that's, what's going to make us great here. Like, we reinforce in each other like the world has gone so far. We see what the film industry looks like. We know what, you know, where it is today. We're going to push it forward. We're going to reinvent what we have to reinvent to, to move things forward. We're looking at how do you at scale impact people's um, belief system. We see what the world has done so far of intentionally developing that. Now we're going to push it forward. Like at some point you just have to own, I'm going to become the world's expert. And that's when people say like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. It's like, what do you want to know more about than anyone else? Mm -hmm. Than anyone else. And people just aren't prepared to say that about themselves. And our society says it's so icky. Like even I had to ask for permission to say that. Because even I feel a little bit icky. But you've just got to push yourself forward to say, I'm gonna become the greatest in the world at this fucking period. And if you can have the arrogance of belief in yourself that you will do that and at the same time have the humility to learn, right? To say, ha, I don't actually know. I am just learning. I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning. And I'll share with you what I've learned, but I don't know shit. That will keep pushing you forward. So Keep in mind, in my head are the two things. I will become the greatest in the world at this. I don't know anything. Right? It's the friction between those two ideas that that will make you great. So to this person I say, become the greatest in the world. You've gotten subpar. You ready for this one? You've gotten subpar results because you've accepted a subpar performance from yourself. Simple. Nothing more than that.
0: Wow. All right. Well, I want us to get to this one last question. We only have like a few minutes left. Okay. This is a follow-up to um, showing confidence and indifference. This one comes from Yusuf Ali. Um, any tips on how you can show that indifference and confidence combo in a long-distance relationship where you, have, where you have to call hard to show indifference when you literally just called?
1: Oh, God. We'd have to be sitting together. There's, there's so many trip minds in that. Like... If you're in a relationship with somebody, you don't want to show indifference. Understand? It is it is a very short-lived technique to get someone interested in entering into a relationship with you. Courtship. Yes. Yeah. Courtship like that's dating.
0: Like early courtship.
1: It. You're talking like old school, like 1940s courtship. Yes. Like the before you start going on a date. But let me. Once I'm dating somebody, while I'm not like doing the flowers and the poetry too early. Like I'm really trying to reveal myself. I'm really trying to get to know them. I'm I'm not pushing them away. I'm like so. For instance, uh, God, how did this? Is my wife here? No, she wandered off somewhere. Um, it went something like this. Like we went on our first magical date. It was unbelievable. She wouldn't sleep with me. I was totally mortified. I go to drop her off at her house, and I'm like, When can I see you again? And she was like, Oh, I'm not sure yet. And so she then was playing hard to get. And she said, On my face was a look of such horror. Now, I I wasn't like, Oh my God, no, please, we have to go out. Just cool, let it go. But I wanted to see her again. So it wasn't like, Oh, yeah, it was great to see you. Like, see you sometime. I was like, Hey, I really had an amazing time. I'd like to see you again. So if you're in a relationship and the person is long distance, don't be playing hard to get. A. B. If. You're not in a relationship, trying to build one with somebody who's already far away just seems weird. Like, yeah. you don't have an investment yet. Don't set yourself up for something so painful and difficult. So, find somebody local. Yeah. Yeah. Word.
0: A local bay, if you will. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this, I guess we have another. Time for one more. Let's do it. So we've got Christy in the feed. Uh, What is your method for absorbing and applying the information you read in books? I'm an avid reader, but there can be so many theories, ideas, and tips you read in books that it's sometimes overwhelming to absorb and apply them all at once.
1: Uh, Well, so is she implying that she reads multiple books at the same time? So I read one book at a time. So for me, that's like easy. As I'm reading the book and I gain a new piece of knowledge, I'm trying to put it into use that day. So I don't wait till I finish the book. Like if I read something on page one that I'm like, whoa, this is usable. I am trying to use it that day, trying to make it a permanent part of my repertoire and then when I finish that book, and a lot of times I'll read in swarms. So like the book before the book that I'm reading now is called The Human Superorganism. I moved from The Human Superorganism to The Disease Delusion. And now they're like overlapping. They're mm-hmm. talking about a lot of the same things. So it's like reinforcing, reinforcing these ideas. And uh, I'm I've, for the first time in my life, I've sort of bifurcated my educational path And I've got the pure play on Lisa's health, the microbiome. And then I've got the standard sort of um, mindset stuff that I'm always pursuing. And so uh, I'm sort of reading two things, but they're so different that Mm -hmm. it doesn't overwhelm me because they're very different sort of tracks in my mind. Um, But using it is the only thing that matters. And so... I, I never feel overwhelmed because I'm not like just trying to memorize a bunch of useless facts. It's like as you go through your life and something presents itself. I've always been grateful to have a tool that I can pull out and use at that moment. So I'm not letting myself get into some sort of schizophrenic state yeah, uh, with that stuff. So,
0: all right, well, that was our sign to wrap up. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys. So thank you so much for joining us today. And if this feed brought you any value, be sure to share it. Um, Definitely check out the Impact Theory League. We're constantly trying to build and grow and keep continuing these kind of discussions that we have here.
1: Yes. So thank you guys so much. This is a weekly show. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.